by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Amen. And when I read it, there were two parts that struck me. One, it said, he went out not knowing where he was going. And I thought of how many times when God speaks to us, we stall where Abraham moved. We say, I know God is speaking to me. I know my situation has to change. I'm willing, Lord. I heard you speak in the meeting. I heard you convict me when I was praying. But God, I don't know where to go yet. So I am going to wait until you show me where to go. But that's not what Abraham did. He went out before he knew where he was going. Do you understand? When he was walking out of the city of Ur, they must have said, where are you going? And he said, I don't know, but I'm going. Something is stirring inside of me. I have heard the voice of God. I have felt the pull of God, and I'm going even though I don't know where. Amen? He went out not knowing where he was going, and the next part that struck me was it says that he lived as an alien and a stranger in the land of promise. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He was there. He was in the land of promise, but he lived as an alien and a stranger. I don't know everything that that means, but I think all of us have lived in the land of promise as aliens and strangers for seasons in our lives. Amen? I think all of us have come to places where, God, I know I'm in the right place now, but I'm not, I'm not at home. I'm not quite possessing it. Amen. And why was it that Abraham lived as an alien and a stranger in the land of promise? This is Hebrews 11. Why was it? If it was the land of promise, why couldn't he inhabit it? Why couldn't he be at home in it? Why did he live like a stranger in the land of promise? Amen. He finally got there. Why did he live like a stranger? It says, for he was looking for a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Amen. So, even when he got Israel, even when he got the promised land, in his heart, he knew that the best he could do is set up a tent because he hadn't yet found a foundation. He hadn't yet been given a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. That makes me think of Ephesians 2, does it you? 
where he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Amen? So Abraham said, I'm here, I'm in the land of promise, I'm in the place that God called me to, but my tents are built on sand. Everything I encounter, I don't yet have a foundation for it. And if I start treating this like it's permanent, then I'm going to be building on something without a foundation. Amen. We have no enduring city here. But Paul is saying to the Ephesians, they have been given this city with foundations. So if we have no enduring city here, how is it that he says that they have a foundation and they're being built upon it? It concludes in Hebrews by saying, these all died in faith, not having received what was promised. Because God had planned for something better for us. And they were not to be made perfect without us. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So what am I saying? Abraham got to the promised land. How did he get there? He went out even when he didn't know where he was going, but God showed him where he was going. But when he got there, he refused to look at it as some permanent place where he could set his hopes, where he could be forever satisfied. In his heart, he kept looking past the natural and seeing the day when God was going to bring a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. He knew that if he put his hopes, if he built his life in any permanent sense in this world, it would be a life without a foundation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But Paul said, we're not strangers and aliens anymore. Amen. He said, now we're citizens. We've been given a citizenship in another kingdom. Amen. And this enduring city that we're part of, it's not part of this world that we're in. What did Jesus say before Pontius Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would pick up swords and fight. But then again, my kingdom is from another place. And yet he said that we should pray every day, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So are we always praying for that but never realizing it? Are we always looking for the, the city in the sweet by and by but never realizing it here in the nasty now and now? Is that how it's supposed to be? Is that what Jesus said about the kingdom? What about in, in uh, Mark 9, when Jesus said, he also said it in Luke 9. Mark 9 and 1, Luke 9 and 27, he said, Most assuredly, I tell you the truth, some of you, are some of you who are standing here with me will not taste death until after you see the kingdom of God come with power. 
Did all the disciples die? Presumably they died before they went to heaven, right? Amen. And yet, he said they wouldn't die before they saw the kingdom of God come with power. And it was such an important scripture that it was mentioned in two gospels to get our attention. Amen. So did this kingdom come with power or did Jesus promise something that wasn't true? Jesus uses the same terminology. He said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What did the disciples ask him just before he ascended? He answered, he answered them and said that. But what had they asked him that provoked that statement from him about being endued with power? Jesus has suffered. And that wasn't in the disciples' expectations. He has been rejected. He has been put to death. He has died a criminal's death. And that wasn't in their expectations. But thankfully... He is resurrected. And that wasn't in their expectations. Okay. He's appeared to them on the road to Emmaus and totally surprised them that he was still alive. He's, he's spent weeks with them, many days with them. Amen. And they're starting to get accustomed to the idea that he's back and the old dreams are still alive. And maybe they're remembering that he said, you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. And they hate the rule of Rome. They hate the boot of Rome on their neck. And so they're standing on the Mount of Olives and they must have felt some vibrations in the spirit. They didn't know that it was going to lift Jesus right off this earth, but they must have felt something. And so it's like, okay, Lord. Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Amen. And what does he say? It is not for you to know times and seasons. Now, they don't understand what has happened. They don't understand why he died. They don't understand why he was resurrected. They're just glad he's back. And they say, so is it time yet? We want to get on with this. All the people died in faith, not having received what was promised. But you told us we wouldn't die until we received what was promised. Amen? We want to see this kingdom that has no compare. We want to see this kingdom that is forever, that Isaiah spoke about, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. There was an end to the reign of David and the reign of of Solomon and the reign of Hezekiah, the best of them, Josiah. There was an end to all of that. We want to see it. We want to see the kingdom come and his will be done on the earth. Is it at this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he didn't say, oh, the kingdom is spiritual. It's not what you're expecting. Because he wanted them to have that expectation of a very real kingdom of a very visceral kingdom he wanted them to have a real expectation because if he says oh it's spiritual like many of us they might have said oh you mean it's not real amen so he didn't say it he kind of avoided the question didn't he and he said it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the father has fixed in his own authority but but, and they're waiting because they want to know about the kingdom. But after 
the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my, and he doesn't say governors, and he doesn't say mayors, and he doesn't say soldiers, he says martyrs. Oh. You will be my witnesses. And then he starts to describe this kingdom and how it's going to spread in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So they went, and he said, But tarry in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power from on high. Amen? So they went to Jerusalem with the expectation of a kingdom. That's what he spoke to them. That's when he talked to them about Jerusalem, when they asked him about the kingdom. Amen? You remember that when Jesus was approached by Nicodemus, Nicodemus was of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, more than any other sect, wanted to see the kingdom restored to Israel. They really wanted it. And they, they were looking. Is it going to be from here? Is it going to be from there? And apparently, there was one among the Pharisees, one among the Sanhedrin, who thought he had found his man. And he said to himself, there's nobody in this whole nation who speaks like this man, who performs miracles like this man, who has power from God. God is clearly with this man. And so this, this Pharisee, whose sect would later cause the insurrection, he comes to Jesus at night. Maybe he came at night because the thing he wanted to talk to Jesus about was a little scary to talk about in the daytime with the Romans listening. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, we know that you are from God. And it seems like Jesus changes the topic and he says, You won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. But did he change the topic? Or did he perceive the topic and beat Nicodemus to the punch? Nicodemus comes and says, we know you're from God. Jesus seems not to answer that, but he is in fact. Because Nicodemus, it almost seems like, is making some kind of subtle invitation there. You might be the next king of Israel. Amen? And he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. He did not say the kingdom of God won't come because we knew it was going to come. But he said, Nicodemus, it'll come, but you won't see it. Amen? And Nicodemus puzzles over that and is very confused. And just three chapters later, after Jesus has performed the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and has crossed over the Galilee and come back just three chapters later it says that, that there were many thousands following him and it says that they tried to forcibly make him king so this idea that was manifested through Nicodemus gained some traction and these people want to forcibly make him king I don't know exactly what they had in mind but Jesus had to hide himself. 
Does this make clear what their expectations were? Does this make clear how passionate they felt? How passionately they felt about the kingdom of God? It's like if he's not going to take the throne, we're going to put the crown on his head. Amen. It was like they were going to trap him. They were going to catch him. Forcibly put the crown on his head. We want a king. We want to throw off oppression and enslavement. We want the kingdom of God to come. Amen. You said we should pray for it in your prayer, but we're going to make sure it happens here. Amen. So he hid himself, and it's the very next message that he preaches when he says these confusing things to them. And he says, Moses gave you manna. But he said, I am the true bread that comes down out of heaven. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. He said this to the people who were believing in him. And what, did, what was their response? I mean, what would your response be if somebody said that? Do you think that Jesus just wasn't aware of how those words might be taken? Eat my flesh and drink my blood? It's not like that's very difficult to imagine how it might be taken. Why did he say that? Why did he tell them they could have no life unless that happened? Was he not using words that could not be interpreted by the flesh? That required a spiritual perspective? Was he not using language to crowbar and pry them out of their naturalistic frame of thinking? Amen? That's why he said it. He wanted them to stop. He wanted them to be confused. He wanted them to realize that they could not get his plan if they thought about it in a natural way of thinking. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. And he says there in John, he says, he says that many of the Jews were offended because of him. And he says in John, John 6, he says, does this offend you? Well, then how offended are you going to be when you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Does there... Does anything strike you as particularly offensive about seeing the Lord ascend into heaven? Would that upset you if you got to be there on the Mount of Olives when he ascended into heaven? I'd feel very blessed. But what frame of mind would be offended by that? One that looked for a natural kingdom and a natural king. He said, this is going to disappoint you. The word offend is disappoint. You're going to be let down by the greatest moment in human history when God highly exalts him and gives him the name above every name. Amen? You're going to be disappointed because you have this naturalistic expectation. Amen? It's going to offend you. Amen. And this is when he says, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. But the Spirit gives life. He was trying to tell them there is a whole new dimension. And this kingdom 
that I come to bring is going to be a place invisible to the Nicodemuses of the world. Amen? Offensive to the religious of the world. But it is going to be a realm where now the Lord is the Spirit. Where people will be submitting to a governor, a king. And they will never see him. His voice will not be audible to their ear. His touch will not be tangible to their flesh. But he will nonetheless reign over the kingdom of David and of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Because it is expedient that I go away or else the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will not come. Amen? But if the Comforter comes then you won't just be looking at me. As Paul said, there was a time when we knew even Christ after the flesh. You won't be looking at the flesh. You will be feeling after the Spirit. And God will be speaking to you just as He speaks to me. Isn't that what Jesus said? I do nothing of my own initiative, but as I hear, I do. Amen? And He said to the Lord, He said, You are always with me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The kingdom is real, but it's invisible, it's intangible, it's inaudible, and something has got to happen to us to wake us up to its reality. If we approach the kingdom in our Nicodemus state, then we won't see it and we'll be offended because of it. Amen? We may even stand there like an accomplice when he's condemned before the Sanhedrin and never find the courage to lift our voice. We and Joseph of Arimathea, amen. Because the kingdom has foundations, but it's not the foundations of flesh. It's not the foundations of brick and mortar. It's the foundations of the apostles and prophets. It is Jerusalem from above that is descending as Believers begin to move into this invisible realm of the Spirit, letting the Lord be the Spirit over every area of their lives. Amen? So, in the next chapter in Hebrews, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as an alien. Are we supposed to dwell in the land of promise as aliens? No. We're supposed to dwell in the land of promise as citizens, and we're supposed to be in this world as aliens. Amen? We are aliens to this world because we are citizens of this other world. Listen to this scripture in Hebrews 12, the very next chapter from the one we started with. He starts off in verse 18, and he says to the church, to the Jews who are believers, He's talking to them about their attitude towards suffering and toward the discipline of God. And he says to them this in verse 18, You have not come to a mountain that may be touched. Amen? You have not come to a mountain that may be touched. And he does not say, that mountain will only come in the sweet by and by when you get to heaven. That is not what he says. Instead, he tells them what they have in fact come to. He says, you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, but you have come 
and he begins to tell them what they've come to. Amen? And in verse 22, he says, But you have come to, a, to Mount Zion. So is the Zion of God something that can be touched? Mm -mm. Because he says, You have not come to a mountain that may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. He was looking for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. He tells the believers that they have come to heavenly Jerusalem. He does not say, you will one day get to heavenly Jerusalem. He says, you have come to heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels. Thank you, Jesus. What did Jesus tell Nathaniel? When he told him, I saw you under the terebinth, under the fig tree, Nathaniel said, you are the Messiah. Amen. And the king of Israel. Amen. And Jesus said, oh, greater things than these will you see. You will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was speaking about the body of Christ. Amen? He was speaking about this invisible body of Christ whose feet are on the earth, but whose head is Jesus in heaven. One Lord, one body. Amen? And who bridges the gap, this invisible body, like an escalator of angels. Amen? Bridging the gap between this death-bound world and eternal life above. Amen? And that is like a ladder. It's Jacob's ladder where the angels of God are ascending and descending, right? And we're looking for the day when we will leave this place where we're aliens, amen, and get to that place where we're forever at home. But we're aliens in an embassy here. The city is here. The rule of the city is here. It's real and it's here. The reign of the king is here. So he says to them, you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion. Have you ever sought the Lord, pursued a gift, a word from God, an answer to prayer, and felt like you just couldn't get your hands on it? Hmm? Felt like you're seeking something and just couldn't quite get it. That's because you've come to a mountain that can't be touched. It's there for you. It's real. But you can't touch it with your flesh. No flesh can glory in his presence. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does Paul say in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians? He tells the Corinthians, I want you to know the things that have been freely given to you by God. He speaks in the past tense. The things that have already been given by God. And then he goes on and he says, things which... I cannot see, ear cannot hear, nor has it even entered into the heart of man things which God has prepared for those who love him, but he has revealed them to us, how? By the Spirit. So the mountain is there. The city is there. The reign of God is there. The power is there. 
but it is a mountain that cannot be touched. Don't let that offend you. Amen? Something can happen to you that wakes you up to a reality beyond the realm of the flesh. Amen? There is a Pentecost reality beyond the Nicodemus expectations. Thank you, Jesus. You have, come, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. We know now what the city is. It's the church, and the church is the city. When you come to the real church of the firstborn, and what does he mean by the church of the firstborn? Hmm? Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. And how was he born? The angel whispered in the ear of scared Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He was the firstborn among many brethren. Amen? So the church of the firstborn refers to the church that is born of the Spirit, of people who are the many brethren that came after the firstborn, of the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Who are enrolled in heaven. Our occupation is on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our, our dwelling place is on this earth, and in our bodies... Have we inherited the new Jerusalem? Have we, are we walking the golden streets in the flesh? I'm not. If you are, please let me know how I can get there. No. But we ourselves groan within ourselves. But we have already received the first fruits in our spirits, Paul said. Amen? So the power of God is inside. Amen. The reign of God is inside. The love of God, the reality of God, the city of God, the kingdom of God is within you. Amen? Outwardly, we're perishing, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Thank you, Jesus. You have come to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You have come to God. Ephesians 123 says, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. I want to ask you a question. Does the United States have an embassy in Russia? Yes, it does. I answered the question. So the, it does have an embassy in, in Russia. Now I want to ask you another question. How far beyond the borders of that embassy does the United States government reach? That embassy represents sovereign territory granted by the host country. Amen? The laws of, the, of, of Russia do not apply in that embassy. The laws of the United States apply in that embassy. That embassy represents sovereign territory. That's what Paul was saying when he said the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who is he who fills all in all? God. Is it saying that God isn't everywhere? That he's only confined in one? No, he's saying God's reign, the lordship of the Lord, is contained and limited 
to that place where he's put his name, to that embassy, to that city. When Jesus prayed, what did he say? I do not pray for the world. Amen? He said, I do not pray for the world, but for those you are giving me out of the world. Amen? Separation is a prerequisite of of God's reign in our lives. Amen. Come out of them and be separate, and I'll be your Father. I'll be your God. Separation comes first, and then the Lordship can become real. Thank you, Jesus. So, this city that has foundations is here. Amen. Amen. And we know that in the end, the time is going to come when all the powers of this world are going to try to evict that embassy. Amen? That city is going to be hemmed in on all sides. It's going to have all the hatred, the bitterness, the wrath of all the nations pointing at it in the end. That's what the Bible tells us. Amen? Now, if the people who are supposed to occupy that city, if they are still living in the flesh, how can they please God? How can they be His ambassadors, His witnesses? We feel that the times are changing. We feel that we're moving into a different season. And we feel in our hearts That God is trying to raise up his kingdom. Amen. But what kind of kingdom is this going to be? Revelation speaks about the Lord slaying the enemy with the sword of his mouth. Amen. Is this going to be a kingdom where Christians go join militaries and kill other people? Is that what it's going to be? Jesus talked about that, didn't he? If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. He's saying, if it were for all about living here, we would fight for this world. But our goal is not to stay here. Therefore, it is not ultimately to protect here. Our goal is to get there. Do you understand? We have a kingdom, but we're not protecting it. We're not trying to protect our little hold on this earth. Amen. We're trying to get to that place. Amen. But I ask you the question, what kind of Christians are going to be able to advance this kingdom? Are going to be able to be the witness in the last days? God is trying to raise something up. What kind of Christians? What kind of person? We have got to be moving into a time where the gifts of the Spirit become more and more powerful. Amen? Ultimately, we're going to lose our lives. But up until that point, God has a purpose to accomplish. Amen? And how is that going to happen? How did it happen in the day of Pentecost? How did it happen in the book of Acts? Did they encounter opposition? Was Peter thrown in prison? And all the Christians gathered together, armed with swords and spears, and went and overpowered the guard of the prison 
And freedom, is that right? Huh? Well, that's the only option that's left to Christians today. Because the power of the Spirit is null and void. But Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to Him. You're still in the Nicodemus camp saying, show me the kingdom. How's it going to be? This doesn't make sense. Amen. You're standing on the outside even when you're surrounded by people who are on the inside. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. What happened? How did Peter get out? They were praying. They were interceding. We know that the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. And God sent an angel through a supernatural display of his power. This embassy in Russia sent out a special forces unit to perform an exceptional act of liberation. Now Peter ended up dying, didn't he? God is not interested in taking over the world, but he's interested in being there for the strategic purposes of his kingdom and its advance. Amen? We don't want to take over the presidency. We don't want to take over nations. We want to bring every thought into captivity to the mind of Christ. We want to bring every relationship. Make it such that the Lord who is the Spirit can reign there. That the peace of God, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Thank you, Jesus. If the only options, if the only realm that we're accustomed to is the realm of the flesh, then how is that going to be possible? Amen. Amen. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Thank you, Jesus, so that you may discern what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance that is in the saints. Amen. It's not me and Jesus got our own thing going. It's a body he has prepared to do his will. If we say your kingdom come, then we know it happens when his will is being done. But is it an individual that he's prepared to do his will? An individual is ill-equipped to do God's will. It is a body you have prepared to do your will, O oh God. An individual cannot face off with the powers of hell and hope to prevail. But upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. God, make us dissatisfied with the flesh and all the substitutes and counterfeits that it can produce. Drive us, God, into the secret place of the Most High. Pull us out of our comfort zones and into the place where the supernatural can become a reality. Amen? Listen to, the, listen to the warfare language that Paul is using in Romans 8. He says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. It's hopeless. Amen. You're a Nicodemus full of good intentions, but you're in the flesh. You say, well, I once prayed through and got the Holy Spirit. That is not the question. He says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But then what does he say? But if, how? By the Spirit, we put to death. Are we fighting? Are we killing? Yes, we're fighting and yes, we're killing. What are we killing? The deeds of the flesh. The reign, the supremacy, the arrogance of the flesh. 
the mind, the carnal mind, if we put to death, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what is the very next words he say? For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. I want to be a son of God. Amen. Oh God, help me to get outside of this little cubicle of fleshly expectations. Open my eyes to see. Amen. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It takes faith. Amen. But when you pray through and you get to that place where your carnal mind is no longer in control and your fleshly fears are no longer in control, amen, and nothing is in control except the Holy Spirit and you begin to speak in unknown tongues, amen, that becomes the precedent for the rest of your life in the kingdom. That's why that has to happen before you can see the kingdom. Because you have to have the kind of faith, oh God, where you grope to realms where you're not in control. Where you pray prayers that the Spirit prays through you. He, he admitted, he said, we don't know how to even pray. But the Holy Spirit makes intercession through us with groanings too deep for words. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's why Jude called it your most holy faith. Amen. God, help me to get back to that place. Amen. When I prayed through and I was not in control, but you were in control. Amen. When I had the faith to be carried along by a mighty rushing wind. Amen. And to give utterance to things that did not come from the mind of man. Amen. Take me back to that place, God. Because if I can speak in tongues by the power of the Spirit, then I can be a godly father by the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom comes. I can be a godly mother by the power of the Spirit and the kingdom comes. Amen? I can hear your voice and go where you want me to go and the kingdom comes and say what you want me to say and the kingdom comes and comes and comes in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and it will be unstoppable. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I just take you back to what we started with. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And you can't come into the kingdom until you go out of the flesh. Until you abandon all the kingdoms of this world where the flesh is comfortable. Amen? And you say, well, God, I want to go out, but I don't know where to go. Amen. That's exactly when you need to start moving. Amen. Because the very thing you're coming out of is this illusory place where the flesh and its carnal mind thinks it's in control of everything. We're not really in as much control as we think. Amen. But is there anybody who's willing to go out even though they don't know where they're going? Amen. Anybody willing to be led by God even if they don't know what they're saying? Anybody willing to go places and do things even if it doesn't make sense to the carnal mind? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God, take me 